Alright, it is time to talk to the one and only Billy Ray. You might know him from being the writer from The Hunger Games, Academy Award nominated screenplay, Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks, oh my goodness, and freaking the creator and writer of The Last Tycoon. I'm excited as hell to talk to him about The Last Tycoon. Hell yeah, dude. I just, I absolutely, I'm an old school Hollywood guy. I love that show, so I'm excited. Alright, let's give him a call. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh. Uh, hi, is this Mr. Ray? It's Billy, yeah. Hey, Billy, how are you today? Okay, how you doing? Uh, doing pretty good, man. First of all, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Yes, we really seriously. appreciate you taking oh. the time to chat. My pleasure. Oh, absolutely. So we're really excited, man. We, we've got a lot to talk to you about. We know you got a project coming out next week and got the new Terminator movie and, and the James that's, Comey stuff and just a lot of stuff to talk to you about. So we're really excited about this one. Fire away. All right. Well, what we like to do, we kind of just, it's instead of a straight-up Q&A, it's just kind of a conversational people sitting around the table chatting type thing. And we always like to start okay. off um, letting our, our uh, listeners kind of get a little bit of background on you and how you got started in the industry. And was it something sure. you always had kind of wanted to do or was it something you fell into? So let's go ahead and kind of start there and how it all began for you. Okay. Um well, I grew up around it because my father was a literary agent and represented some great screenwriters like Alvin Sargent, Frank Pearson. Oh, wow. Those kind of people. Right. Uh, Paul Pickman, Peter Bogdanovich. Wow. Anyway, um, I, I grew up with my mother. My parents were divorced, but I was, I was always aware of it um, and always had a great admiration for screenwriting as a, as a craft. Um, the first thing I ever sold was when I was 19. I sold an episode of The Jetsons. Wow. Uh, While I was still in college, which made me sort of a hero in my fraternity. I bet. Um, And when I finished school, I went to work for these two TV movie producers uh, uh, as their gopher um, and wrote at night. And I did that for three years. And it got to the point where I was doing so much work for them that the only night I had available to write was Sunday night. but while my friends were going out, you know, getting drunk and, and trying to get laid, I was staring at a wall <laughs> writing. And I wrote right. uh, two novels that I couldn't sell. And then I wrote a screenplay that I couldn't sell. And then I wrote five more drafts of it and finally sold it. Uh, and it wasn't even enough money that I could quit my job. Wow. But it was enough. Uh, but it, it did give me the opportunity to say I'm now a professional screenwriter because I had sold a script. And with that, I walked into 20th Century Fox and sold my first studio pitch. Um, which then was enough money for me to quit my job and, and be a screenwriter. Right. Wow. Um, and, and I've been making a living at it ever since. That was January 8th, 1988. Wow. wow. And, so... and that did, you know, I've been hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. Um, my career for the first uh, 11 or so years was really an embarrassment to me. Um, the movies that were getting made uh, that I had written didn't feel like mine, and I wasn't proud of any of them. And the scripts that I had written that I was proud of weren't getting made. And, you know, if you would have looked at uh, an IMDb page in 2001 and looked up the name Billy Ray, you would have come to the conclusion that that was a lousy screenwriter. Wow. Um, and it was a very, very painful reality for me. <clears throat> well, it didn't change. Uh, it didn't change until I directed for the first time. There was a, a little movie called Shattered Glass that I, I wrote and directed. Right. And that changed my career profoundly and that was the the one based on the uh the true story correct yeah about stephen glass and it remains a movie for which i have great fondness but that was the first time i ever stood in front of a movie and said 
this is what I'm capable of. I wrote this, I directed it, this one, this is, this, this is something that I can take the bullets for if you don't like it. Right. But it turned out people did, and, and, and that put my career on a different trajectory. Awesome. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because we do have a lot of young listeners who are aspiring to get into the industry in all different aspects of it, uh, acting, writing, you know, producing in front of the camera, behind the camera, below the line, above the line. Um, writing, I think a lot of times, I, I, I love that you brought that up, because, I mean, just because you sell a screenplay doesn't mean, first of all, it'll ever get made, or right. if it does right. get made, like you said, it's not made as the movie you wrote. So, right. let, let, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit, that process and, and what that's like. I mean, it, it must be difficult to see something that you painstakingly worked on and then put into the hands of somebody else's vision, and it's just not even where you intended it to go. Um, is, is that disheartening? And, I mean, is that what led you to – you? do you feel, I guess, now like um, you need to direct in order to keep cre no. creative control of what you write? No, and, and – um and I don't actually believe in creative control. Uh, this is the most collaborative medium in the world. And to do it, unless you have $100 million to make the movie, you're going to need partners. Absolutely. At the very least, you're going to need someone to pay for it. Right. Um, you're going to need another $50 million to market it, to open it. So you better know how to work with people. Um, and, and, you know, I've never had Final Cut, and I don't really want Final Cut. I like getting input from other people. It helps me make my scripts better, and it helps me make my movies better. But the difference is, when you're starting out as a writer, you discover very quickly that it's a director's medium, and that director can replace you. And once you are replaced and someone else comes in to rewrite you, there's just nothing you can do about it. Right. Uh, the movie's not yours anymore. Right. Um, you, you know, I, uh, uh, and, and that has happened to me, you know, it happened in... in uh, the earlier stages of my career, uh, it happened a couple times, and yeah, very, very painful. Um, you know, when, when there's a movie coming out and your name is on it, and yet you know there's not a line of yours in it, right? Um, you, you know, you just want to move to Finland for a couple of weeks. Just to, <laughs> yeah. You know, just to get out of the way of the bombs you know are coming your way. Right. Um, and, and that's a really, really tough stretch for any writer to go through. So, okay, so how did you... How did you work your way through it? Because it is an industry that's tough, um, and and you have to have thick skin, and you have to be able to take rejection. Um, how did you work through it? How, the, the first time you had that happen to you, how does it not make you want to just turn around and go, okay, I am going to go flee somewhere, and maybe this isn't for me? How did you? How were you able to work through it? What kind of advice would you give to somebody that is thinking, well, I just can't do this? Okay, um, the easiest advice is if you can be happy doing something else. Go do it. Because in this business, you're going to be surrounded by people who cannot be happy doing anything else. And they are going to chew through you like a Pac-Man. The reason that people hang on in the business is because they, it, there's an inevitability to it. It never occurred to me to go do anything else. I mean, there was a moment early in my career where I was getting beat up pretty regularly where I, I, I would joke to my wife, you know, I think I'm going to go become a fireman. <laughs> because at the end of the day, maybe I'll help somebody. Maybe I'll save a cat out of a tree or do something. I'm not contributing to society in any way right now. Right. And she very lovingly and jokingly went out and bought me a fireman's hat. But <laughs> I wasn't going anywhere. This was, it's the difference between a job and a calling. If oh, you are a writer, that's your calling. You can't do anything else. So you better figure out a way to uh, thicken your skin and, and learn to take the punches 
and and get better at your job, so that so that the the pain becomes somewhat balanced by uh, by the joy. Yeah, well, wow, that that I brilliantly said, sir. Brilliantly said. Um, man, that's just outstanding. I love the realism, and I love the fact that the wife bought you a fire hat. That's yeah, hilarious. That was, that's <laughs> awesome. that, we yeah, are that's... so married, and I'm very, very lucky to have her. You well, can't right? go three weeks without writing, oh, yeah. uh, without missing it, Yeah, right? If you can go three weeks without writing, and it doesn't feel like something's wrong, you're probably not a writer. They, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I, I feel that same way about anything in this industry. If you can go of course. any kind of a stretch and, and not feel like you missed it, that wow, that is... Yeah, perfectly well, said. Well, I'll tell you why, cause, and that may seem unfair to people. But remember, the difference between writers and everyone else in the business, and I mean literally everyone else in the business, is that writers are the only people who don't have to be allowed to do their job. Mm. You can't direct unless someone lets you. You can't act unless someone hires you. You can't go paint a set unless you're on a crew. But any writer in the world can sit down and write. No one has to allow you to do it. So any moment that you're not writing, that is a voluntary decision. Exactly. That is well said. Um, well, it's it's obviously worked out immensely well for you. Like you said, you have your ups and downs, and I mean, everybody in this industry does, and there are stretches where you're going to hit and stretches where you're not. But I mean, the list right. of credits that you have is just in, insane. It's, I mean, everything from The Hunger Games, I mean, Breakup Girl, Overlord, which is coming out, um, Color of Night, like Volcano, just... We never immense... talk about Color of Night or Volcano, yeah. ever. <laughs> I was going to ask if those are either, either ones that weren't the ones that you... No, no, no. Yeah. No, we yeah. don't. <laughs> Volcano oh. is the V word, and um, and color of night I've never even seen. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. That was the one that made me want to move to Finland. I, wow. I had a oh, feeling man. that was yeah. one. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, that's but happy to funny. talk about Captain Phillips. Oh, happy yeah. to talk about uh, uh, the upcoming Gemini Man or or the upcoming Terminator or oh, absolutely. Black Tycoon. Yeah, uh, yeah, so many of them. Um, Terminator 6, uh, which is basically what it is, Terminator 6. Um, we're all super Maybe, excited okay. about that. Yeah, um, I mean, we've got a lot of returning people for this film. Um, mm -hmm. how, how did that come about? How did you Now, were you brought on to actually write the screenplay or were, to rewrite the screenplay? What's your process and role in that? Okay, the, the history of that is uh, a year before I showed up, there was a writer's room. And the writer's room was convened by the studio, Skydance, that was reinventing the Terminator um, as, as a... Uh, franchise. Yeah, as a franchise. Thank you. Um, and they put together a bunch of people in a room who mapped out three movies. And then two of those writers were assigned to write the first one. While that was happening, I was working on another movie for Skydance. Um, called Gemini Man, which uh, Ang Lee just wrapped with mm -hmm. uh, with Will, Will Smith. Smith yeah. right. And they were happy with the work I had done on Gemini Man. And so when the first Terminator script <clears throat> came in and there were some issues that needed to be adjusted, um, they asked me to come aboard. And um, I'll be honest with you, that wound up being so much more fun than I thought it would. I was, I was completely intrigued by it because I love the franchise. I think um, the first two Terminator movies, particularly the second one, just seminal. And, um, and so, yeah, of course, I'm going to go take that meeting and see what they have in mind. But once I actually sat down and, and wrote the words Sarah Connor and started writing her, 
I just went to a different level. I mean, it just it was just a blast. And um, I didn't anticipate that. And I've been working on it for, oh gosh, I, I guess about a year. And I think they have a week or two left of shooting. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really excited. Very, very encouraged. Good. I, I think a lot of people are. I think I think everybody's excited to see Linda Hamilton back, Sarah Connor back, and and I, I think it's going to do well. What they just recently announced it when it was going to be released. Um, yep. So yeah, pretty pumped about that one. We're really excited about it um, as well. And, you know, look, you can learn a lot sitting in a room with Jim Cameron. I bet you can. Yeah. Um, and you can learn a lot sitting in a room with Tim Miller. And I got to do both sometimes at the same time. And uh, great, great experience. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about Captain Phillips, nominated for an Academy Award for Captain Phillips. Thank you. Yep, a fantastic film yeah. uh, from start to finish. Um, how did that come about, and what was that like working with that team? Okay, um, that was a very different circumstance. Uh, I've been um, at the game of screenwriting for long enough, and I've worked myself into the sort of position where I very happily, very luckily, um, most times that people offer me material... They offer it to me exclusively, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, someone will send me a book and for a weekend, I'm the only writer in town that's being offered the book and I get to decide whether or not I want to pursue. It's a really lovely privilege to have, but I worked very hard uh, to attain. Uh, Captain Phillips was not that way. Captain Phillips uh, was happening, you know, on CNN in front of all of us right. and Sony got the rights and Sony announced that for this movie, they weren't going out to any writer exclusively. It was going to be a beauty pageant. Anyone who wanted to come in and pitch a take on that movie was welcome to, but everyone was going to have to compete for the job. And I thought about that. There's a risk um, when you've been writing as long as I have, if you go compete for a job, you kind of have to make sure you get it because otherwise you've hurt yourself. You've hurt your brand as a writer. I hate to sound so mercenary, but it's true. So I really thought about that that script and that and that movie and I thought you know I've made a bunch of true stories I've made Shattered Glass I made Breach those are true stories Mm -hmm. and here's another true story but this is the first true story I've ever come in contact with that actually lays out like an action movie the beats are action movie beats the structure of what actually happened is kind of a movie structure you never get that in real life you always have to doctor things to make true stories turn into movies. And so this became something that I thought was worth going and fighting for. Okay, so the next question is, how am I going to go convince them that I'm the right guy? Right. Um, so I thought, all right, what's the movie about? Well, on its, on its most basic DNA level, the movie, unfortunately, is about a white guy who gets kidnapped by four black guys, and three of them get their heads blown off. <laughs> That's true. That's absolutely right. And I thought, boy, I really don't want to write that. That really sounds like a bummer <laughs> right. to everybody. So I better figure out a way into the movie that isn't that. So I don't know what other writers said when they went into pitch, but when I went into pitch, I said, this is a movie about leadership. This is a movie about two captains who wake up on opposite sides of the globe and they both get dressed and they go to work and their work is going to put them on a collision course Mm -hmm. where they are going to be thrown at each other at, you know, 100 miles an hour. And what we are going to find out as a result of the tension between these two leaders, how they lead. We're going to find out that one would sacrifice himself to save his men 
mm-hmm. and the other would sacrifice his men to save himself. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're going to watch how these two men work on each other and change each other. That's what the movie's about. And in a way, kind of humanized the, and the pirates. Well, I feel like the movie does an excellent job of that, showing both sides of the picture, right. which I think was necessary if you were going to have any kind of... Because you have to have an attachment to the bad guy as well. You have right. to. So, well, it, look, in any, in any movie, you want to dimensionalize all of your characters. Absolutely. Right? But especially your bad guys. Exactly. You want your bad guys to have a completely viable, defensible point of view. Yep. Yeah, um, because people. that's going to require more greatness out of your protagonist in order to defeat that person. Yep. Right. Um, it's easy to knock over a, you know, a, a, a cardboard cutout of somebody. Um, for me, the essence of that movie and of that struggle between those two guys was actually um, uh, a moment that I planned before I had even sat down to write, which was I knew there was going to be a moment where Captain Phillips was going to be sitting with that other, uh, with the Somali pirate captain, Musi, who was going to talk about how he became a pirate because there was nowhere to fish anymore. And I knew Captain Phillips was going to say, there has to be something between fishing and kidnapping people. Right. And I knew that, that the Somali pirate was going to say, maybe in America, Irish, maybe in America. Right. And that was enough to build a whole screenplay around. That's that's an amazing process, and 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 interesting to hear because, uh, like you said, I don't think a lot of people realize what goes into it. It's great to get to a point where things are exclusively offered to you, and and I loved your analogy of you better make sure you get this because you're going to hurt yourself if you don't. Right. Um, right. when you when you are into that position, so yeah, it's an amazing story to hear though how how they basically just opened it up and say, okay, everybody, come tell us your idea, and and they were right. To- yeah. Um, and by the way, just a brief story about Paul Greengrass, who's a brilliant director and did a brilliant job and should have been nominated, just like Tom Hanks did what I thought was the best work of his career and also should have been nominated. Agreed. Paul is a really funny director to work with because his process is he needs to blow things up and then reconstruct them. That's just how his brain works. So you work with him for months to get it right down to the comma, and then he sends you a 60-page, single-spaced outline saying here are all the changes that he should make in the screenplay it's just what he does he, he blows it up and then he puts it back together so we go through this process and he's about a week from prep he's about to go to malta and and at that moment he's in london and we're on the phone and we've got the script just how he likes it and um we're talking about this one particular line of dialogue and paul says this thing to me that i didn't realize uh was quite as literal um as i guessed at the time and he said, well, I take dialogue to be something of a suggestion. Interesting. And I said, well, Paul, um, here are 120 pages of suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Wow. And he would often shoot the movie. Yeah. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> I take dialogue as a suggestion. That's uh, Wow. That's got to be an yep. interesting thing to hear as a writer. Like, okay. It, um. <laughs> it was sobering. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So you got. On the other hand, I wound up in a tuxedo. So God bless Paul Greengrass. There you go. There you go. Sounds like you kind of won twice. You won the the contest to get the job, and yeah, absolutely. And you got a nomination for it. Yeah, yeah, and probably deserved the win. Honestly, like you said, you should have gotten it three times. I really, I really do think the film. Tom Hanks, like I said, I think that you should have gotten the win. It was just absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. I'll tell you why I disagree. Um, uh, Because. Twelve Years a Slave, which which won 
That yes. category yes. is a far more important movie. Um, oh. it, it spoke to something that needed to be said um, in, a, in a deeper way than our movie did, just by the very nature of what it was about. Sure. And um, I, I don't have any ill feelings about losing to that movie. Well... Uh, just because I think it was such an important part of a, of a national conversation. That Absolutely. Well, I can't argue with that. That's uh, you're you're humble, you're graceful, and 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 wow, yeah, I, I would not disagree with you on any point that you just made. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, that's and and much respect for you for being that way. Um, you are very active politically um, on social media, and uh, much respect for that as well. I think when people Thank reach you. a certain platform or and they they have the pedestal well, uh, to you know, the the politics are now taking about 60% of my day. Yeah. Um, which uh, hopefully will change after November 6th. Um, it's, you know, I think anybody can tweet. That's not really difficult to do, but um, I've been doing a ton of fundraising. Yes. And, and, and event organizing um, and working uh, with candidates. There's another writer uh, named Greg Hurwitz, who's a screenwriter and a novelist and a comic book writer um, and he and I have been working with individual House candidates mm-hmm. on messaging. We've worked with about 30 of them so far. And I've been writing for a bunch of those candidates, writing stump speeches for a bunch of Democratic House candidates, which I really love to do. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, I'm writing a speech this morning, and then this afternoon, a friend of mine ha- has asked me to come address her Girl Scout troop about the importance of voting. Wow. <laughs> so okay. that's that's my day, and yeah. uh, somewhere in there, I've got to find time to work on uh, the James Comey script, right. um, which I'm beyond excited about. But hopefully, after November sixth, some sanity has been restored to my country, and the Democrats once again have control of the House, and I can just go back to being a writer. Well, I I applaud you for the for the activism, and uh, and I applaud you for getting involved because I think engagement is one of the the, the serious problems um in this country, and and getting people engaged and talking and and voting and and getting behind an issue that it's so important. So I applaud you for the work that you do. Um and and thank you. Know, you. The truth is, um, I woke up the morning of November 9th, two thousand sixteen, uh, more frightened for my country than I was the morning after September 11th. And I don't mean to compare the two events. What I mean is that I woke up the morning after September 11th and said, okay, that was the scariest thing I've ever seen, but I know my country's going to come together. Right. And I know we probably got a little safer yesterday. Right. I woke up the morning of November 9th, 2016, and thought, I know my country's about to come apart, which it now has. And, um, and that election flattened me for weeks. And I never want to feel that way again. And I certainly never want to feel again that feeling of I could have done more. So whatever happens on November 6th, I will wake up on November 7th and say I left it on the field. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you, 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 you brought it up, so let's kind of transition into it because I'm really excited about it as well. Um, the James Comey Project. And yep. uh, it's CBS, correct? It's going to be like a miniseries on CBS, and it's based on his book, right? Well, it'll be four hours, two nights. Okay. And it will be some combination, I'm not sure which, but some combination of CBS, CBS All Access, and Showtime. Okay. And that's all being worked out now. 
Okay. So, well, I'm excited about it. I mean, like you, you, you've said, you've worked on so many true stories and, and, and true events in the past. And, uh, I, I'm, ex- I mean, what you did with the last tycoon and, and, and a, sort of a, a series of events and the, and the, de- I'm, I can't wait to see how you break this up into a two night event or, or the, the, the way that you're going to do it. And like I said, the, the activity in politics and an understanding of where Comey is coming from and what he's been through. I'm just thrilled and, to, that you've, you got the job and that you're going to be doing that. Well, I am too. And, and, and you know, it's a great privilege. Um, and getting to know him has been really exciting. Um, you know, I always wanted to write something about Trump. I always believed that the right way into the Trump story was, uh, was through Comey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no idea the guy was writing a book. I just always felt like if I ever got a shot at writing anything, it would be the Comey story. Right. Uh, and then one day I got a call from uh, Shane Salerno, who's a producer and a writer, and he said, do you want to do the Comey book? And, um, and of course, I read it overnight and said, yeah, I'm in. Let's go. And then uh, spent a couple months doing research, you know, flying to D.C. and a couple other places to meet some of the people who had lived that story. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the really nice things uh, about being in the position that I'm in is that I can take three months uh, where I'm not getting paid because we haven't set it up yet right? Uh, and put in the kind of sweat equity that's necessary so that when I went to go pitch the Comey story, I knew what I was talking about. I had done the research. I had 144 pages of research sitting in my computer oh, wow. and I could transfer that onto 70 index cards and go in and do a 41-minute pitch that was, you know, just complete. Um, what a blessing to be able to do that and have that kind of freedom. You know, most writers who are trying to make it paycheck to paycheck, they can't take three months off to right. get a pitch ready. Right. And um, and so I, I took advantage of that opportunity, and, and I'm glad I did. And, and it's the first time we ever got a production commitment uh, first time I ever got a production commitment off a pitch wow. in my life. Well, well, congratulations. And um, like I said, I, I'm excited to see it. I can't wait until Thank it you. hits. And I think you're going to do it a great justice. I think you're going to do what it deserves and, and tell the story the way it needs to be told. So congratulations on that. And I'm hoping Thank when it does hit and you get it all completed, you'll come back and talk about it because I'm really excited to see how that plays out. Um, Happy to. Uh, and okay, so let's talk a little bit about before I jump into the last tycoon. Let's talk a bit uh, about Overlord. Uh, yeah, it's coming out the uh, the uh, next weekend, correct? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about that one. How, how did okay. that come about? How did, uh, same type process? Uh, Overlord uh, was a movie that dropped into my head um, in I think 2009. That had never happened to me before, and it's never happened to me since. Um, literally, just an idea fell into my head. That was kind of a completely baked movie. And um, I thought, okay, I want to write this for a director, and I want to write this for a director who thinks like a writer. So I went to J.J. Abrams, mm-hmm. whom I knew, and I pitched it to him and his company, and, and I said, okay, this is going to be either the shortest pitch you've ever heard or we're going to get to work. <laughs> because you might just hate the idea. So I pitched him the idea, which he really liked, and then I came back um, a week later with you know 48 pages of notes that I had written on it, and we got to work. And, and the idea was that J.J. was going to direct it. Yeah. And so I wrote, I don't know, nine or ten drafts for him, and then he went off to do Star Wars, but, but the company stayed on to produce, mm-hmm. and, he, and he remained involved. Then we attached Robert Zemeckis 
to direct. I wrote nine or ten drafts for him. And uh, and then he dropped off to go do something else. And then we did a bunch more work for the studio. And all along, we're reinventing the movie two or three times. Right. Um, and then we get uh, Julius Avery uh, to direct. And I was about to go to work for him when Tycoon uh, got greenlit. And so I had to drop off. So they brought in uh, Mark Smith to work with Julius and to, and to, you know, finish the movie. And I consider it to be very much Mark and Julius's movie. Um, I'm really happy to have my name on it. I, I, I'm proud of the movie and I think it'll be a big hit. Uh, but it would be stupid of me and, and unfair of me to take credit for work that I really believe is theirs. The shooting script was Mark's and, and, and the vision of what to do with that script is Julius's. So, you know, the, the credit goes to them. Wow. Okay. Well said. And I, I, again, I, I mean, I just, I really respect your, your humility and, and, and giving credit where credit is due and, and being able to, you know, it, unfortunately we, we don't see a lot of that and, and it's good to see from somebody as accomplished as you to, to, and, you know, I learned attitude. actually in a, in a directing class, I, <laughs> before I ever directed, I took a class at UCLA extension mm-hmm. taught by a guy named Robert Spira and he, he was preaching something that became my absolute mantra in terms of not just directing, but life. He said, duck the credit for everything that goes well and take the blame for everything that goes wrong. Mm. And if you do that as a, as a director, for example, someone comes up to you and says, oh my God, dailies were incredible today. You say, yeah, Chris Cooper's amazing. Right. Or my DP is killing it. If you're on the set and, and someone drops a C-stand 100 feet away, you raise your hand and say, that was my fault. I did not position you in such a way that that would be impossible. That's my fault. Mm-hmm. What you find is that your crew will kill for you because you're not some credit hoovering moron who always needs to be stroked. And in fact, you just want other people to feel good about the work they're doing. And what I found was that that's not just a good mantra for directing. It's a good mantra for life. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, so I'm excited about this one. I, I just, I was, I'm a huge fan of old Hollywood, the golden age. And I yep. thought when I saw The Last Tycoon, I was just in heaven. I thought it was a brilliant rendition of it, a brilliant telling of it. I thought what the cast was absolutely phenomenal. Um, we, I mean, just every episode I was on the edge of my seat. I thought what you were able to do with that series, just absolutely brilliant from start to finish. And I was devastated. They took it, they took it down. Well, you and me both. Um, here, here's the story behind that. Um, last tycoon is easily, easily the best working experience of my life. By far the most fun I've ever had. Everything about it was bliss. Even the hard days were bliss. Mm-hmm. I loved writing it. I loved producing it. I loved directing it. I loved my partner on the show, Chris Kaiser. Loved my cast, loved my crew, loved the costumes, just loved it all. Right. Loved, loved, loved that experience. And, uh, you know, I'm used to saying goodbye to people at the end of a movie. When the shoot's over, you don't expect to ever see them again, right? Right. Maybe at the premiere. When you say goodbye to people at the end of season one of a series, you expect to see them three months from now. Yeah. And so it was never goodbye. It was, oh, I'll see you in a couple months. Because we had laid out five seasons of that show, and oh. we knew exactly where oh, we were going. Me. Man, I wish. I like, wish. And we were going somewhere really cool. Yeah. And, and season two was always designed to be the most fun season. And we, the whole thing was, you know, written in my head. Um, then we find out that we're canceled, and it was easily the biggest disappointment of my career. There's never been anything mm. close. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we were canceled six weeks after launch. Mm-hmm. Um, our launch was July 28th, which never made sense to me because we were not a summer show, but be that as it may, six weeks later, we got the hammer. And I went in to talk to the head, of the, the then head of the network, uh, Roy Price, who's since been fired, and I, I said, Roy, can you please tell me what the hurry was? Because when you put a show on a service like Amazon, you are effectively saying to the audience that they've got forever to watch it. Right. And particularly a show like ours, which people were enjoying kind of one episode per week because the show was really dense. Yes. Right. So what was the hurry? Why did you have to cancel it after six weeks? He said, well, the fact is we canceled it after seven days. What? I said, what? What? He said, we made the decision seven days after launch. We didn't like the numbers. And so we stopped spending on it. And that was it. You were wow. And uh, you, what can one say? Um, if, if the head of the network is not a fan of the show, uh, you're dead. That's it. Mm. And it didn't matter that he was subsequently fired. Um, and it didn't matter that a new administration came in. Once the announcement was made to cancel the show, we could never get it revived. I went from network to network to network begging someone to pick up our show. But nobody wants to pick up someone else's, you know, canceled show. Mm. So all those ideas, all those episodes, all those characters, there's just nowhere for them to go. Wow. And uh, that was really hard. That was that was that was pretty bad. Uh, it's not bad like, you know, having your daughter kidnapped by Boko Haram right. in Nigeria. That's right. worse. Um, but in, in relative terms of our little world, uh, that was the biggest disappointment of my career. I, and, and it's amazing to me that he, after seven days he cites the numbers because I'm sure you're aware um, it, there's a massive fan base for this show and a groundswell of Save the Last Tycoon, you know, a campaign out there to try to save it and get it back on somewhere. So it, it's just surprising to me to hear him say, after seven days, the numbers, we just don't want it. Yeah. I, that's shocking to me. Really yeah, it was shocking to me, too, and... and um and and his complaint about it was that it was not a, a binge show. Mm. Um, that people weren't uh, weren't watching enough of them at once. And I said to him, and I, I, this is going to sound like a leading question. I didn't mean it to be. I said, why is it better for someone to come to the Amazon site once and watch nine episodes than it would be for someone to come to the Amazon site nine times and watch the show once? Right. Why is that better? And he did not have an answer. Now, to be perfectly fair. In, in the world of taking blame for things that go wrong. Um, the part of that that was my fault, for which I am 100% responsible, is that um, I was so driven as we were making that show by the ghost of Mad Men, which I thought was one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen in my life. Okay. I was so floored by that show and by its content. I think if I were to do it all over again, the part that I would really look closely at is I think I was trying so hard to be brilliant that for the first couple episodes, I probably didn't spend enough time being entertaining. And what we found is that, you know, the show didn't really get fun until about episode three or four. Um, and so there were a number of people who dropped off two episodes in. The people who stayed past that point were really happy and wrote it all the way to episode nine. But I think we lost people early in the show when I was laying out too much story and I was trying to get too thematic, and again, that idea of just, just trying to be as good as Mad Men instead of just letting the audience have fun right off the bat, right. that is my fault. That's not Roy's fault. That's, that's my fault. 
and you know, lesson learned. Yep. I'll never do that again. Well, I, I, I'm just going to say I was a fan of what you did Everything, for the first yeah. episode, so I'll just politely disagree with you there. But I, I liked the character setup. I, I, I liked how you developed the story and gave us who these people were before yeah. you dove into uh, what we saw progress. And I, I mean, I was a fan of that. So, but I respect that, you know, the, what you just said. And, and I think, um, casting, I, I have to, I have to just say, I, I mean, Kelsey Grammer and, and Lily Collins and, and Matt Bomer, just yeah, brilliant. Those three. I mean, Jennifer Beale, like uh, everybody all, involved. They were all awesome. Uh, you know, my casting director, uh, uh, Sharon Bialy, exceptional at what she does. Her company is amazing and that was the first time ever in my career where we never got told no mm. we had one choice for monroe star and it was matt we had one choice uh, to play pat brady and it was kelsey we had one choice you know uh to play celia and it was lily we went after one person to play kathleen and it was dominique mcgallagate one person to play rose and it was rosemary dewitt nobody said no wow um we got our first choice for every part yeah and um, and even the people who came in and read for things were just amazing. Uh, and that was part of the bliss of the show, that um, the cast was so good, and they wanted to be challenged. Um, they loved their characters. You could see they loved the costumes. They loved the hair. They loved the sets. They liked being on set. It was a dream. I, I bet. I bet. And and Lily Collins, just she looked like she stepped straight out of uh, from that era. I mean, it was absolutely oh, yeah. the makeup and hair. And it was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely awesome. brilliant. And I had seen her in. Um, and also just, you know, those faces. Right. Lily's face, Dominique's face and, and Matt's face. And they're just the camera just loves them. You just you just want to hang on them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And grammar, like you said, I couldn't think of anybody better for Pat Brady than grammar. He yeah. just I mean, no, the epitome was- of the role. So, um, okay, well, let me ask you oh, any God, I had such plans for these characters. I know, I bet. So that's my, my next question. Um, do you have any sort of, uh, maintain any sort of control over that? Could we see a potential project down the line readdressing those characters or does Amazon have all that um, or? Well, this is, uh, this is just between us, which is sort of a funny thing to say on a podcast. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, Tell anybody. No, all of our listeners there be quiet. There is. <laughs> There is one character uh, on that show that I am planning somewhere down the line to spin off oh. into a separate story. Oh, snap. Okay. But I can't tell which character it is. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Um, well, I, I, I've got my fingers crossed. I, I'm hoping for a particular one. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, well, listen, man, this has been extremely entertaining and informative. I think some of the stuff that you've dropped for our listeners who are trying to get in the industry has been brilliant. And I just love your approach to your career. Um, and again, your humility and the way that you conduct yourself. And I, I, I'm positive. That's why you've had the longevity that you've had and will continue to have the success that you've had. Um, and again, open invite, sir, when, when the Comey stuff comes out or Terminator is out and yeah, and we would love to have you back on and talk about a bunch of stuff and just, you know, you've been fantastic and we appreciate you taking the time to do it today. I really appreciate it. It's very flattering to be asked. Um, would love to come back uh, next fall. We can talk about Gemini Man Absolutely. and yeah. Terminator because they're going to come out uh, very close to one another. Yeah. Awesome. And hopefully by then we'll we'll know exactly uh, what the Comey movie looks like because hopefully by then it'll be shot. Um, so I would love to come back and, and chat. That would be great. And for now, I just got to go prepare my lecture for the Girl Scouts. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And hopefully, wink, wink, you'll be able to tell us what character that was that you're uh, going to spin off. <laughs> oh, yeah, by November yeah. of next year? Yeah. 
Very good bet of that. All yeah, right. Hey, there we go. Good. Well, listen, I have no doubt you're going to dazzle the Girl Scouts. You're going to be great. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll take a box of Thin Mints if you Yeah, know. if yeah. you could. Uh, oh, yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Take care, bud. Bye. All right, bye-bye.